And it was a little sketchy for a little while. We were kind of wondering if this nearer kinsman was going to get in there and scoop her away and all of that. That had been so, wouldn't that have been sad? After all that buildup, it had been like, oh, we don't even have the guy's name. Now, that is very interesting. If you want to think a little, little more on your Bible, you know, we have uh, uh, Boaz as the type of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have uh, Ruth as the type, I would say, of, 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 I'm going to clear this up later. Most people will say Gentiles or a Gentile church. You have Naomi as a type in a picture of, of, of Israel. We have Bethlehem. We have all of these things. Uh, we have, we have the nearer kinsman, uh, you know, and here he is as the type of the law we looked at last week. But do you realize, do you remember somebody who introduced, essentially introduced, uh, Ruth to Boaz? It was an unnamed servant of Boaz that mentioned her. An unnamed servant. And who is it in the Word of God who does not desire to ever take attention to himself, but only directs it somewhere? I think we have a beautiful type of the Holy Spirit of God. We see it in Abraham's servant. He is later named Eleazar, but in that one time when he's going to get Isaac a wife, he's not named. And you see that role of the Holy Spirit of God. Beautiful, beautiful pictures. I'm telling you, I can't get over it. I, I, I hope you never get over it. There's no way a man sat down and wrote this book. 1,600 year period of time, 44, over 40 different writers, different continents, no technology, and there's not a contradiction. And it weaves together perfectly of the coming Messiah. I love it. I love it. So here we are. He, Boaz has what he wants. He didn't necessarily want the land. He wanted Ruth. He was in love with Ruth. And, the, and the, we just talked about the type and the typology and the prototype that are, that are here. And, uh, and it's, uh, this book of Ruth is a model of what is to come, of what's, what was to come in their day. And, and for them, what was to come was the Messiah. And so far in the book of Ruth, I believe that we really we have kind of two types of Two types of types taking place, maybe you could say. You have the type of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have the type of, I might call it this, the, the path to redemption. And we looked at that a few weeks back, so we're not going to dive into that again. But we've covered it all. But tonight, I, I believe there's going to be one more thing we need to look at here in the book of Ruth that, that we would need to add to this type that is being pictured here in the type of the Messiah the type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see it here at the end of chapter 4. And uh, and it starts off here, really, we're going to kind of begin in the area here where Boaz has picked up again, and we're, we're going to pick up again, I should say, where Boaz has met with the kinsman redeemer. Let's, let's pray real quick and we'll move on. Father, help me tonight, would you please? Help me to just uh, just give me the mind to preach, the, a, clear, a clear thought process, a clear mind. I ask you tonight for the help of the Holy Spirit, not only to help me preach, but also to help the hearers to, be, to not only that you would illuminate your word tonight and illuminate our minds, but uh, that uh, we would receive what you have for us. We ask you for your help and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... <clears throat> The nearer kinsman, you know, he his deal, Boaz wants Ruth. He doesn't want the, really want the land, but he'll take the land. The nearer kinsman doesn't really care about the land, and he can't have Ruth. So he's out of it. And and we, we saw who that nearer kinsman was. I mentioned that already. Now, Boaz is going to enter into a contract for Ruth and for the land. Would you look at verse 7, please? This is really a fascinating... This is some... 
the book of Ruth really uh, um, pulls the curtain back of some of the Bible, of the customs and manners in those days and how they did things and how they did things legally. Look at verse 7. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing for to confirm all things. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore, the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. Now, this is, this is fascinating, isn't it? I'm thankful today we just signed documents. You know, you, you might give some cash for an earnest money, but this was, <clears throat> this is what they did. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25 with me, Deuteronomy chapter 25, look at verse 7. And I'm going to just ask you to really stay with There's a, so much here in the last portion of chapter 4. It'll get really easy to get lost in, in all of this. I remember a while back, about a couple years ago, preaching through Genesis. We, I, I came to genealogies. And if you remember, we just preached the genealogy. And it was awesome, actually. I, I'm, I know I'm a geek and I like that. I like the genealogies. I think it's exciting. And uh, I, I, pre- I thought, Lord, it's here. We're going to preach it. This is going to go over horribly. And I was surprised. People were like, oh, wow, that was really good. <laughs> We're getting into genealogies again tonight, and it's kind of deep. So stick with me is what I'm saying. Look at Deuteronomy 25, verse 7. And if a man like not to take his brother's wife, this is what we're talking about here, kinsman, redeemer, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders, she's going to the courthouse, and say, my husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to do it and say, I like not to take her, they're actually going to try to convince him. Okay, you need to do this. And if he goes on and says, no, I'm not doing it. Verse 9, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face. Yeah. And shall answer and say, so shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. Wow. It's quite a deal, isn't it? No, th- this was a pretty low thing to do in Israel. This was a pretty low blow to say, you know what? I care so little about my brother and so little about his possession and so little about his his lineage and his land and all of that stuff. I'm not doing I'm not doing this. You can just die. He can die childless. He can die outside of his possession and he can just die and go to somebody else. That's a pretty low deal to do. And this is this was what was supposed to happen. You take off the shoot, she spits in his face. And so this is what's going on here in chapter 4. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off, the, drew off his shoe. Not Boaz, the nearer kinsman. The law drew his shoe off. And you know what everybody knew that would see this? Oh, that guy wasn't able to perform his duty. Not maybe... That guy didn't want to perform his responsibility. So everybody would see what was going on. Everybody knew exactly. He just got out of court and he's walking out of the courthouse with one shoe on. Everybody knew what happened. Right? And so, forever this kinsman is going to be known by the people that he was unable to redeem. Now i got a question for you. Got your thinking caps on? If the nearer of kinsmen is a type of the law, 
And Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ. When was it determined that the law would be forever unable to redeem? What did Jesus do? What happened? Yeah, he fulfilled the law. Absolutely. Turn over to Isaiah 61, would you? Isaiah chapter 61. I'll wait a moment. I've got my Bible marked, so it looks like I'm really good at this, but I'm not, so I'll just wait on you. That's why I marked it. Isaiah 61. This will sound very familiar to you tonight. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Now turn over to Luke chapter 4. You remember this? Jesus was going up into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and you can find your place in verse 16. And the Bible says, And he came to Nazareth, that's where he grew up, can I tell you something? This is a, a plug. If you can come to Israel in January, oh, do it. I was, we were up in Megiddo. I was overlooking the Valley of Jezreel. Incredible. I mean, this is the main road through the area. The Silk Road goes off to east to, to Asia. The main road came up out of, out of Egypt. I mean, everything met there in, in the Valley of Jezreel, you know, Armageddon, Jezreel. And I'm overlooking the Valley of Jezreel. We're asking the, the, the tour guide guy. said, everybody's like, well, what's that? I mean, you can see forever. What's that little town? And you'll see these little hills. It's called a tel, like Tel Aviv. Tel means a hill. And they would build cities up on hills. So you have Tel Aviv and you have all the other ones there. And uh, we were in, uh, looking at all these different little towns. And he was telling us which ones they were. I looked up to the north. I said, what's that town right there? It's not too far away. He said, that's Nazareth. And I'll tell you what, it hit me and I looked at that I thought Jesus grew up overlooking the Valley of Jezreel that He knew He would come back to someday at Armageddon. It was awesome to watch this. And here He is, He's going back up to Nazareth here, into the synagogue here at Nazareth. I'm sorry for the diversion, but I get so excited when I think about that. And verse 15, And He taught in their synagogue, being glorified of all. And He came to Nazareth, verse 16, where He had been brought up where he grew up, where he lived. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. He's done this his whole life here growing up in Nazareth, in this synagogue. So watch this. Remember he says a prophet is honorable, save his own country and his own people. He's going to Nazareth, the place he's grown up in. He goes into the synagogue he's always gone to. He goes in there like he's always done. He stood up to read and he says, and there was delivered unto him. They brought him a book. Now remember the synagogue's not like the temple. It was, it, was, it was a little less formal. It was a different format. We saw in Acts 15, remember. And uh, they gave space for Paul and, and Barnabas to speak. So here they are. They bring the, the book over to Jesus. They all know him. He grew up here. It says, The book was delivered unto him of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, Jesus found this specific place. And this is what he read. I wonder what they were thinking when he read it. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He'd already been baptized. He went up and filled with the Holy Ghost out of the wilderness to be tempted. 
The Spirit of the God, because He anointed, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And He closed the book, and He gave it to the minister, and sat down. And all of the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on Him. He sat down. He had nothing else to say. What did, he, what did he say? Look at verse 21. He began to say unto them, This day is the Scripture fulfilled in your ears. Isaiah 61, know what he says? I just, I've fulfilled it. He has fulfilled it there. It was fulfilled in their ears that day, but it was going to be fulfilled and put on display at Calvary. And here's the good news. The gospel declares that when the law showed up to redeem, it couldn't redeem. And the only one who could redeem was Jesus Christ. So on that day in the synagogue, Jesus proclaimed the law was unable to redeem. And on Calvary, He proved forever that not only was He able to redeem, but that He wanted to redeem. Do you see this pattern here again? Boaz proclaimed his intentions to the men of the city, but then he performed his intentions the day he married Ruth. And so all of those who've come to Jesus Christ, what are they doing? They're looking at this shoeless law. We are looking at the law that's walking around without a shoe and we know full well of its inability to redeem. I'm reminded over and again of Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Not by works of righteousness. No, we know full well, don't we? The law cannot redeem. It's shoeless. It forever has a blight on it. It never was intended to do that. And look at verse 8 now. Look at verse 8 here. We see Here's what we see here in verse 8 is a surrender. A surrender. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. Buy it for thee. He knew his inability. He came to the place of realizing, I'm going to mar my own inheritance. I can't do this. I'm done. So the transaction now is legal. This is a legal transaction. The purchase included the, all of the Limeleks, all of, of Kilions, all of Melons, and oh yeah, Ruth. <laughs> That's what he wanted the whole time, right? So the transaction is legal. The transaction, though this transaction has a purpose. The purpose is to give Melon, the, the husband of Ruth, the, the, the deceased husband, I forget if he was puny or if he was... Puny and scrawny? I forget their Yeah, that's what their names meant. I forget which one. This might be puny here. To give puny a son so that his family is forever in their position. But not only that, the transaction has a purpose to have a continual line to the Messiah. Okay, and we're going to get into this here at the end of this. So keep that in your, in your thoughts here. And then you'll see here in verse 11, the transaction is noticed and accepted. You can see this, look at that in verse 11. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witness. We are witness. This is legal. This is legal. And finally in verse 13, Boaz and Ruth are married. All right. Oh, that's a great interlude to point number two. I like that. Hey, some churches have organs playing in the background. We have phones. So. Yeah. I've thought about the organ. Th- no, never mind. 
Okay, so they're married. Where am I? Verse 13. Verse 13. They are finally, finally married. But I want to go back and look at a verse or two and look at something else that is incredibly important here, and I don't want you to miss this. Now, notice the nice words of the elders. You might call them the wishes of the elders here in uh, verse 11. Look at this. And the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witness. Look at this. Isn't this nice? The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and Leah, which too did build the house of Israel and do worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. Well, do you, so, so here's the, their little well wishes that are going on here. Make you like make you like Rachel and Leah. We know that's in, you know. I, I, I let me go back. I'll, I'll come back to this later. But he says Rachel and Leah. These are the wives of Jacob. Remember that the twelve tribes of Israel. He said, "Do thou worthily in Ephrata," and he said, "Be famous in Bethlehem." Or is not Bethlehem famous? Does not the world know about Bethlehem? <laughs> Bethlehem, Ephrata, specifically. But notice this. I noticed three classifications here in these in these well wishes. Number one, he said, "Be be uh, make you like Ruth and Leah." Okay, that, that's that's on a worldwide basis. Genesis twelve three. Remember that the promise to Abraham that the Gentiles will come in because of you. That's a worldwide thing. You you see uh, then uh, do worthily in Ephrata. That's their region. And be famous in Bethlehem in their own home. He's covering everything. This this little well wish here is just about everything. But notice this next that's coming on. The house of Phareus. Now this is odd. He goes on here. And let thy house be like the house of Phareus, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. <clears throat> now this is really interesting. This is where you have to really like try to focus. What was the house of Phareus? We're going to do a little history lesson here. I hope you can stay with me. In Genesis 49, Jacob, you remember, is blessing his sons. And in Genesis 49 and verse 10, he blesses Judah. And this is what he says of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall be the gathering, shall the gathering of the people be. And we know what this is. This is a messianic prophecy. This, this is what, what, uh, what Jacob was, was saying about the tribe of Judah, not, not of his firstborn, not of Joseph, but of Judah, that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Okay, the blessing of Judah is that the Messiah is coming. Okay, so what about Phares? Okay, now we're talking about Judah, right? So here's the here's the the son of Jacob, Judah. He gets married. He gets, and in Genesis chapter eight, you can go, or chapter thirty eight, you can go back and see where uh, Phares or Judah gets married, and he has three sons. The firstborn son, his name is Ur, not E R R, like like correct way to pronounce er, not er, er, but this is er, which is really close when you see his life is close to just saying he did er, <laughs> you know, it was a mess. Onan is the second born. And then finally, Shelah is the third born son. Now, Ur marries a young girl named Tamar, or correctly, Tamar. 
And, but Ur is wicked. You know the story of Ur. He's wicked. God kills him, which leaves him without any children, leaves his, his, uh, his widow without any children as well. So <clears throat> she goes to Judah, her father-in-law, and says uh, um, that Onan needs to do the part of the kinsman redeemer. And Onan does, but he doesn't. And you can go back and read all about that. And God gets so mad at Onan that he kills him too. And so now all that's left is the thirdborn, Shua, or Shelah, and uh, he's too young right now. So Judah says, just wait around for Shelah, and you can have him to husband to carry on your husband's name and everything like that. And so while, he's, while she's waiting, Je- uh, Judah's uh, wife dies, and now he's a widow himself. And there comes a point in time that he's going up to Timnath to shear some sheep with a friend of his. So time has passed on. Tom, Tamar has realized that uh, that uh, Sheila is not going to be given to, to, to her to be to play the role of the kinsman redeemer. He has no more sons. She's at the end of the line to ever being uh, brought back in, uh, like we're looking here at Ruth and everything like that. And so when he goes up to shear some sheep, Tamar, this is really strange time, but... She puts on the attire of a harlot, the Bible says. You can go read this. She puts on the attire of a harlot. That's something, uh, can I stop there? That's something good to think about, isn't it? <laughs> Would you think about that, please? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. We have it all over the place out there, don't we? Yeah. And uh, Judah notices her. And he propositions her. He doesn't know who it is. He doesn't know it's his daughter-in-law. She's got took off her widow's clothes. She's put on the attire of a harlot. And she has a plan. And Judah notices her and he propositions her. And she goes, sure. What are you going to give me? He goes, I'll give you a sheep. And she goes, how do I know? What are you going to give me to know that you'll give me the sheep later? And he goes, she goes, give me some of your stuff like an earnest. He goes, okay. So she goes, give me your bracelets. Give me your signet. Give me your staff. He goes, okay. Gives her bracelet, signet, staff. Okay, so, jo- so Judah goes home. He's done shearing sheep and other things. He goes home. And about three months later, word comes to Judah. Your daughter-in-law is with child. And he's furious. And he says, bring her to me. Bring her here. We'll burn her. That's what they did. We'll burn her. That's pretty gruesome, isn't it? So she comes in, stands before Judah. Judah says, is this true? And she says, yes, it's true. And in the course of the discussion, it comes out, well, well, whose is it? And she goes, the child is whose these things belong to. And she gave him back his signet, his staff, and his bracelets. And Judah goes, oh. And he says, well, you're more righteous than I am. I know that's kind of weird to think this whole thing that somebody could be more righteous than somebody else. It's a messed up deal. But compared to what Judah was doing, Tamar was more righteous than Judah because she was concerned about carrying on the lineage of her husband and doesn't justify the means. But we're going to show you something here. So as time goes on, six months, Tamar has her children. Twins. Twins. You remember the story? One of them comes out. The hand comes out first. What does the midwife do? She ties a little red string around its wrist. And all of a sudden she goes, what on earth? Goes back in and the other one is born. She says, what a breach is this? But because she had tied the string around the wrist of the other one, that is still considered the firstborn. So the firstborn of Tamar was Pharaoh's. Pharaoh's. This is the firstborn. 
Now, is this sounding like much of a blessing? Does this sound like a bunch of well wishes? Like a toast? We, we hope you, 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 that Ruth is like Pharez and Tamar and Judah and all of that. that. That doesn't sound like they really meant anything good about that, did they? We hope you're famous. We hope you have illegitimate children like Judah and his daughter-in-law. That'd be great. Yeah, that doesn't sound right, does it? No. <laughs> so what's going on here? Yeah, it's not, it's not good wishes. It's not a toast. You know what they're telling them? You know what this is? This is prophecy. You know, the desire of the people of the, people of, of, of the children of, of uh, Bethlehem, Judah, was that the lineage of Ruth and Boaz would fulfill prophecy. Prophecy. Do you realize King Saul was not of the tribe of Judah? You know that. He was Benjamite. God never intended Saul's lineage to be on the throne of the Messiah. David was God's choice. He had to just give Israel what they wanted for a little while, let them see that it doesn't work. David, David was, and because of his lineage, because of the heart of David, the lineage of David, God wanted David on the throne. Now watch this, please. If it wasn't for Tamar and her son Phares, there would have been no more tribe of Judah. And there would have been no David. <laughs> so the toast they're given is prophecy. They realize this. May you continue the line of Judah unto the coming of the Messiah. And they did. <laughs> now look at verse 13. They're new parents. Isn't this wonderful? So both uh, Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And he, when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception. And she bare a son. Look at verse 14. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, and that his name may be famous in Israel. So now here Naomi is again included in the inheritance through Boaz and Ruth. And Naomi, as we see, is sustained by the love of her daughter-in-law. And she shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. No, this Gentile has love for Israel. Don't miss that. So Naomi becomes a nurse to the child. The women, the women named the child Obed, means worshipped. Now look at this genealogy down here. Verse 18. Now these are the generations of Phares. Phares again? <laughs> Phares begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. And Ram begat Amenadab. Amenadab begat Nashon. Nashon begat Solomon. Solomon begat Boaz. Boaz begat Obed. Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David. Jeremiah 23, 5-6, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll raise unto David a righteous branch. I read this last week. And a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safety, safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called, all uppercase, the Lord our righteousness. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
All this tucked away in there. Isn't that awesome? But there's one more thing I want you to see. I just read this lineage from Pharaohs. You ever wonder why that lineage is there? That an odd place to throw a short lineage. Throw a, now, now watch back here in, in, in verse eleven. They, they brought or verse twelve. Let the house be like the house of Pharaoh, whom Tamar barren to Judah. We we just looked at all of that, and here this lineage starts at Pharaoh's, not before, and not after. Yeah. Now remember this: Pharaoh's was what he was illegitimate. Would you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 23 with me, please? Verse 2. A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Now watch this. Even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. So an illegitimate son is not allowed to have anything to do with the, the events of it within the congregation of Israel, within the things of Israel, up to the tenth generation. Let's do some counting, shall we? So you have Pharez, Hezron, one. Hezron begat Ram, two. Ram begat Amenadab, three. <laughs> Amenadab begat Nashon, four. Nashon begat Salmon, five. Salmon begat Boaz, six. Boaz beget Obed, seven. Obed beget Jesse, eight. Jesse beget David, nine. And Pharez, from Pharez to Hezron, makes ten. I've counted that wrong, but we have ten here. Pharez to Hezron, Hezron to Ram, Ram to Abinadab, Abinadab, Nashon. We have ten generations. That end with David. That make him legitimate to be on the throne of Israel. Crazy, isn't it? See, without Tamar, we wouldn't have had Pharaoh. Without Ruth, we wouldn't have had David. Do you know who else we would not have had on the scene here? Without Rahab, we wouldn't have had Boaz. You said Rahab? You know, remember Rahab, the other harlot? Turn to Matthew chapter 1, would you? We're about done here. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 1. Here we go. Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 1. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, (laughs) the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Pharez and Zerah of Tamar. There they are. Pharez begat Esram. Esram begat Aram. Aram begat Amenadab. Amenadab begat Nason. Nason begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab. That's Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Sol- Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Make no mistake, God doesn't change his mind who you belong to. <laughs> he still calls her the wife of Uriah. And Solomon begat Ro- Roboam, and Roboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa. And it goes all the way down to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice a couple things about this genealogy. 
There's four women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew is a Levite. And there is no Levite that would ever have put a woman in a genealogy. So there's four women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Not only that, all four of these women are Gentiles. (laughs) You like that? And all four of the women represent... Now watch this. This this is so exciting. They, They represent the process... The process into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Tamar, Pharez, grace. There's the grace of God. Rahab, faith. Ruth, redemption. Bathsheba, forgiveness. You know, you see, that's, isn't that the order we come to Christ? Grace, faith, redemption, forgiveness. Now, I mentioned before that Ruth is many times a type of the Gentile church. And this is one reason why I don't really completely accept that. Because many Jews have come to rest in Jesus Christ. Many of the seed of Abraham, can I tell you something? The seed of Abraham is still on the planet. And the covenant that God made with Abraham is still in effect. Why? Because his seed is still on the planet. It's an everlasting covenant for the land. But many Jews have come and recognized their Messiah. They've put their faith. The, the, the church at Jerusalem, the first church, was about close to maybe 14,000 people, and the majority of them were Jews. Right? So I think Ruth isn't necessarily a type of the Gentiles. I think more, I think more correctly we could call Ruth a type of the whosoever will, who recognizes their need and turns to the only one who loves them and can redeem them. And here God just scatters them here through this genealogy. And if they weren't in it, you wouldn't have had Jesus Christ. And I'll say it again, like I said from the beginning, there's no way anybody can just put this together and have it come out perfectly. Yeah. But God did it. <laughs> God did it. We can't even get our day to come out right. <laughs> and we think we're going to get about 5,000, 4,000 years of history to turn out right? Yeah. So let me like make a little application tonight. For us as believers, if you're here tonight and you're saved, I think that's the majority of everybody in here. If God would go through this for all of this for our redemption, what is there left to doubt about His thoughts towards you? Hmm. you struggling in that area? Yeah. Don't never have you have you ever been fully convinced that God is absolutely crazy about you? He has moved heaven and earth to make sure you could be redeemed and brought back into a right relationship with Him. And if you're an unbeliever here tonight, have you ever met Jesus? You may be in the field of grace right now just laboring away, but you've never met Christ. 